and they are ever experiencing a dance of desire and connection. That makes sense. Uh, they're moving in and out of the heart, always returning to love, hopefully, I guess. Uh, we'll ask her to dig deep also and tell us other stuff about how one knows if uh, deity is calling them, uh, how to build a relationship with your deities, and uh, what she means by life is a love spell. So, uh, Irisanya, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Yeah, thank you for having me, Karen. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't, uh, you know, since I've been back this year, mm-hmm. I was on hiatus for a little while, and now I'm mm-hmm. back. Um, I think this might actually be one of the first shows that I've done um, about magic that I can recall. So I'm, I'm glad to be getting back to that oh. a bit. Um, so um, tell us how you arrived at your current magical mm-hmm. practice. Oh, yes. How the, what's the origin story? Yeah, I... So I think like a lot of folks, um, at least that I hear, I started out in a family that was Catholic. And I don't know, there's a lot of ritual in that. So it doesn't feel like the biggest jump sometimes to start there and to move into witchcraft eventually. I started out there and had a lot of really amazing spiritual experiences, was really into Mary, um, still am to this day, and some experiences with angels and all of that. But never quite felt right and then I moved into college and had my first paper God as a chauvinist and then sort of left the church and moved into sort of trying to find myself in new age things I grew up in the Midwest and so that was uh, an interesting place to do that but somehow I happened upon uh, things like the spiral dance Um, I happened upon this one sort of flyer of women who were getting together to, you know, start a coven. I think they called it a circle um, at this new age store that doesn't exist anymore called Rainbows and Roses. <laughs> and I sort of met folks and just kept practicing. Um, we did a lot of work together. This little coven of mine um, did a lot of work with spiral dance. Um, and then, you know, covens often <laughs> break up or people have other lives and things like that that, you know, take them away. And I was still, you know, practicing on my own. Really, Spiral Dance was just such a, it was such a motivating book for my magic and sort of my, I guess, my awakening to that. And eventually, I ended up moving to the Bay Area in California, where I realized, oh, my gosh, the people in the Spiral Dance are actually real people. So <laughs> I was uh, like, oh, no, they're, they're real people. And through some really wonderful sort of, you know, uh, moment, I got to go to a thing called California Witch Camp. And that's a reclaiming event that happens every single year for a week up in Mendocino. And I met a whole bunch of witches. And I realized that this was really intense. They might be crazy, but I loved it. And it was my first experience with like a big group of witches and magic and this sort of spontaneous, ecstatic practice. And from then on, I was like, this is my home. (laughs) And I took all the classes. Uh, I started to plan rituals with the community in the North Bay. And then I started teaching. And then I taught internationally and all this other stuff. So that's sort of what thrust me into this moment. And then eventually moving into writing about the things that I do or the things that I think I know. And continues to, I mean, I'm a reclaiming initiate and I also teach a lot in the reclaiming tradition, so it's where the foundation of my magic is, and I also consider myself a, you know, someone who improvs <laughs> what I do, um, and hopefully mm-hmm. encourages others to do the same. Mhm, mhm, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a there's a a, a lot of. Uh similar history uh, for me. I can totally relate to what you said. I started out a Catholic too, uh, but I ended up with the Fellowship of Isis. And uh, I took some reclaiming classes in Los Angeles. You know, there was a great group there, did powerful ritual. Um, but, you know, I want to ask you, um, and I'm throwing you a here. Um, I, you know, I wonder if you're of the same mind as I am, that I really think magic and um, the word witch needs uh, to be redefined. I mean, I think it's Hmm. so much 
better than the average person might think it is. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. I, so here's what I would say. I've, I've had this question before. I don't think there's a way to define which. I, I don't think there's one way. And so I think that makes mm-hmm. it complicated because mm-hmm. I think that I, I agree with you, yes, that it needs a new definition, but I don't know which one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what I would say is that it is bigger. And I think that maybe having a wider conversation about what that looks like for different people would be valuable mm-hmm. because I think sometimes yeah. it is becoming sort of tossed around as something that sort of like how self-care has gotten tossed around and now it kind of doesn't mean anything, um, mm-hmm. sort of like that. Uh, I agree with that. I agree that there needs to be a, a bigger conversation, but I don't, I don't want to be in the room where we try to decide what the one definition is. So. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. You know, Ken's consensus is uh, is a is a challenge. Um, so uh, so yeah yeah because I think um, you know a lot of us avoid the W word because it's so loaded uh, and there's so many people that won't even understand it uh, and so they go to this fear fear based place of ignorance and uh, you know and that's 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 never a safe thing. Um, so um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so how do you, it, well, uh, you know, you say that you work with Aphrodite, Iris, Artemis, Hecate, um, uh, but tell me, who are the Norns? I've never heard of the Norns. So the Norns, funny enough, I have a book coming out about them in uh, August 1st, so that's uh, well-timed. So the Norns are beings I'm not going to say deities necessarily. We could probably have a big conversation about that. But the Norns are beings of Norse mythology. And they Mm. are, um, in a very simple way to say this, because it's more complicated than this, they are the is, was, and what shall be. Sort of like you might talk about the fates. Or you might talk about, right, you might talk about that. Not the same, but the same kind of idea. And it is... Erd, Verdandi, and Skuld, and they're the ones who sit at the base of the world tree, um, keeping this whole web of weird or of time, fate, destiny going. They're the ones that sort of um, weave so that there is this string of weird that connects all of us in, you know, across time. They also measure that, you know, string, yarn, um, in order to determine how long a life is for each person. And there's also mm-hmm. the cutting, which is the cutting, mm-hmm. obviously, when you're cut out of the weird and you die. So they are sort of everywhere in the background of our lives, uh, the way okay. I hold them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, – go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, you, you were uh, – all right, so you said they're Norse, and um, well, this might sound like an eye question, but did you see a few years ago the series on television, The Vikings? Did you follow that by chance? I did a little bit, yes, but not entirely. Um, well, I loved when they brought in the Norse religion, and uh, well, I don't know. You might not have seen, you know, some of the, those episodes, um, but you know, th- that's kind of a question that parallels with my next. Um, you know, how? I mean, I and I might be under the wrong assumption, but I don't think we have a lot to go on that the you know in writing for the Vikings. Would you say that some of the you know, the Nordic uh, pagan practices of today, you know, they're, they're reconstructed, uh, you know, for contemporary times. Um, I mean, because I don't, it, is, is there much to draw on from the past? Um, so that's always, that's an interesting question. So I think that there are definitely texts that we can go to to sort of infer practices. And I do think a lot of what arrives now is more of a modern take on that because, and I think this is rightfully so, that practices of today are informed by where we're at today. We're not in the Mm -hmm. same society as folks were back then. And so things are Mm -hmm. different. Um, So there are some really great authors right now that are talking about sort of like bridging the past and moving it into the future. Uh, I mean, I wrote a book. That's that's one. And then um, Ryan Smith is a really great uh, writer who's written one book already on that. 
um, like Norse mythology and sort of the modern application of this, more of a radical heathenry. And then he also has another book coming out um, about the weird. Um, also, the Norns are also known as the Weird Sisters. Um, and also, Morgan Daimler has written uh, a book on, like, the Norse mythology, which is also really helpful, and she's such a great researcher. Um, so there are definitely resources available. I think that just like you talked about witch and the weird definition of that or the lack thereof, what is, quote, unquote, Norse uh, has a lot of different answers. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, isn't isn't there also a thread in the Norse that <clears throat> kind of um, starts to steer into the white supremacist uh, arenas? I think that people have appropriated things from the Norse mythology in order to make that happen. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that yeah. it is part of the Norse tradition. No. Okay. <clears throat> and how would you uh, tell someone, uh, explain to someone, um, uh, you know, how, how would they know that a deity may be calling them? This is such a question I hear uh, from folks who are starting out. They're like, when is a god going to call to me? <laughs> um, uh, and I would say it's a personal thing, right? So one of the, a couple of things that I think of when I hear this question is that, if I'm suddenly thinking about a certain deity all the time or I'm suddenly sort of seeing like signs or images or it's sort of popping up in music or things like that, I think that that is, to me, a sign of I want to follow that thread. I want mm-hmm. to find out what this means. And just as you might have somebody that you might be crushing on in your life and suddenly they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, if you see that a lot, I think that that is, can be a calling. I think mm-hmm. that um, this question often comes up because people think it's going to be this huge um, vision or uh, <laughs> some sort of like shock yeah. of lightning. And I imagine that happens for some folks that hasn't been my experience, uh, but <laughs> I'm sure it does. Uh, but it's not, for me, I always find that it's actually more subtle than that, and it's really mm-hmm. sort of even not, like more heart-led and more of being present to what is already around you and sort of following that thread and seeing where it goes. Yeah, but a lot like magic, you know, wouldn't present. you say? Yeah, exactly. You know, when, oh, you know, when you, um, I mean, so often the magic in our life is, is very subtle and might even be missed as something very mundane. And, um, you know, I know for me, I, you know, I, I, I'm very left brain being an analytical Virgo. And, you know, for me it was Isis and Sekhmet, and it was just sure. this insatiable interest. You know, and um, you know, and I, I, I guess I didn't question it. You know, um, um, and and so what's your method for you know once you think you know who your deity or deities uh, might be, um, you know, how do you build a relationship? And and do you ever get the thought that maybe you're shortchanging one for the other, and you wonder if there's jealousy? <laughs> uh, deity polyamory, yes. Okay, yeah, so this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So um, I'll, talk about, I'll talk about Aphrodite so, and my, how I sort of built that relationship or came upon it. She started just being everywhere, and I was really convinced that I didn't want to work with Aphrodite. She's too, she's too much of a, sorry, I'm going to say this, but now it has a different take on it now that there's a movie out. Like she's too much of a Barbie, and uh, that's what I used to say. You know, I used to uh-huh. say she's too easy. She's too, like, love, whatever. That's so easy. By the way, it's not. Spoiler alert. But um, all of a sudden, she just showed up everywhere. I started getting all these signs, and things would happen. And I went to PantheaCon one year, and all this stuff happened at that um, convention that made me go, oh, this is actually a thing. I'm going to follow it. And so the first thing I did was I started, you know, just like in any relationship, like a human relationship, I don't know about you, but I Google people. And so uh, I would go and find things out about her. I read different myths. I read different websites and sort of figured out who she was or what was intriguing and if I was still interested. And then I sort of moved into like, okay, so if I want to work with this deity, how are some, what are some ways I can start creating some devotional spaces so that might be an altar, 
That might be a picture, a statue. It could just be something really simple, but a place where attention to this deity could be, where it could arrive, where I could visit. It doesn't have to be anything too huge or anything, although Aphrodite will, let me just tell you, if you ever work with Aphrodite, expect to have lots of altars because she is just in that. Um, lots and lots of altars. And sort of making time for this relationship that you're building. So that is hanging out with the deity during the day for even a few minutes, but really making time for this is important to me and this is what I want to show up for. And that could be meditating with them. That could be reading things. Aphrodite would love to read Sappho's poetry with her and be in their presence and see what happens. Because that's like, again, like any human relationship. We're going to show up and see what happens. And maybe it's mm-hmm. going to be great. And maybe it's mm-hmm. not. But the one, thing, yeah, the one thing I will say, because this is a soapbox moment for me, um, is that going to the gods and wanting to build relationships, relationships with them, I really would like to say that it should be founded on getting to know them and figuring out, you know, what this relationship looks like versus I'm going to you because I want stuff. And so I'm going to do stuff so that I get stuff. And I say the gods are not gumball machines. And so I, I would be wary if that is your only intention. But yeah. I just say that building relationships with gods is just as, it's like being with a human. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you show up? How are you consistent? I'm so glad you said that about the gumball machine. My my line is she's not an ATM machine. You can't just go there and nice. keep taking stuff out. You know, it's 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 nice. reciprocity. You got to put stuff in too. Um, yes. Yeah, and you know, and I think um, you know, uh, Aphrodite is a lot is misunderstood a lot like Sepmet yes. is misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, I called her the the boudoir babe. You know, that's how everybody mm-hmm. you know thinks of her, <laughs> and they don't realize you know how deep mm-hmm. you know and powerful mm-hmm. and um, you know wide ranging she really is. She she it, like Hera too. I mean, you know, Hera. Mm-hmm. You know, we think mm-hmm. of Hera as this. Um, uh, you know, she's just always griping about Zeus's philandering, and that's all there is to Hera. Yep. You know, this petulant uh, yeah. nag, mm-hmm. yeah, nag of a wife. Um, I mean, you know, these these goddesses have been so, uh, you know, just maligned under patriarchy. It's it's terrible, uh, and I think anybody starting out needs to really know that to begin with. Yeah. Um, you know, so that they dig a little deeper and uh, not. Uh, you know, fall, um, you know, mistakenly fall into, you know, that idea that they're no more than the shallow, um, you know, shallow, uh, I don't know, personas, if you will. Um, yeah. I, so, go ahead. I was going to say, I say, I say that a lot in my books because I try to remind readers that the stories that we have and the stories that we bring forward are typically translated by old white dudes. And while that is what we have, it also is told through their lens. And so I would I encourage folks to build relationships with the gods based on their experience. You know, maybe there's some influence of text, absolutely, but also building that personal relationship I think will expand things and can mm-hmm. maybe mitigate some of the patriarchal sort of translations of these stories. That, right. Mm, I don't know if they're all... It's too easy to translate a story into making the, uh, you know, the woman be like the, the, uh, the temptress, the seductress, the, the, the whiner, things like that. Yeah, yeah, the, the stereotypes. Um, uh, you know, that, that patriarchy has for women, you know, they don't know, men don't know how to write women, you know, um, I, I think because they've, so many of them have never really taken the time to really know women. They're either a Madonna or a whore, you know, in so many, uh, you know, so many men's eyes. Um, well, you know, uh, Arasanya, we, we haven't uh, mentioned your book titles. Um, please, um, uh, tell, tell listeners some of your titles. Sure. I will start from uh, my first one, and I'll just work my way through. Um, So in 2020, 
uh, my first book that came out is a pagan portal book. It's a series of books through Moon Books that sort of gives introductory, like they're introductory books to gods and sometimes other things. My first book was on reclaiming witchcraft, on my tradition. And that book talks a lot about the structure of reclaiming as it is today and about how it is an evolving tradition. So much, it involves so much that the principles of unity that is at the front of the book was already out of date by the time the book got published. We already changed it. So it's already, it already needs a little update. Um, so that was my first book. Um, my second book was uh, Aphrodite. And it was Aphrodite encountering the goddess of love and beauty and initiation, talking about all the complexities that she is, talking about ways to connect with her, how to expand from that idea of just she's just about sex and love to expanding into the mysteries of love, expanding into the care for ourselves, and expanding into being in right relationship with that heart um, magic. The third one that I wrote uh, is just part of a series called Practically Pagan, sort of like, you know, very subtly witchy. Um, and it was an alternative guide to health and well-being. I talk a lot about how to care for oneself, how to it's self-care, but more self-devotion than self-care, ways to support yourself and ways to get to know yourself, to really be able to hold yourself well and build resilience and all of the things that uh, – we need in this society and just in life. For the fourth book was Iris. So I hadn't seen a book on Iris yet, and she's my namesake. And so I proposed that. And it's um, Iris, goddess of the rainbow and messenger of the gods. So this was a very fun book to write. Got to take the very small bits of story that she's in and expand on that. And also I brought into this book this whole practice of following the rainbow to work on different parts of your life and to also talk a bit more about the idea of service to community because Iris is the servant a lot of the times of Hera and Zeus. So got to talk about that. And mm-hmm. one of the first books where I start talking about how to build relationships with God, that was also, I went into more detail. <laughs> We're almost there. We only have a few more. But uh, and then the next one um, was part of a, it's part of an Earth Spirit series at Moon Books, all about uh, the environment and ecological activism. And that book is called Honoring the Wild, uh, Reclaiming Witchcraft and Environmental Activism. Uh, for this book, I collected stories of activists, uh, not only stories of different actions, but also um, different exercises that you might do to think about your relationship to activism. And also some rituals are in there too. So this, my goal with this book was to inspire folks to find activism where they can or at what level feels good to them. But reclaiming really was one of the starting factors was fighting for the environment and for the earth. And so this book helps to bring that alive a bit with story and also a really nice timeline of all the things we've done. Um, and then after that, my brain's going to have to, and then Hecate. after that is my next one, which is the Norns. No, Norns is next. I haven't done okay. one on Hecate yet. Fingers crossed someday. But so the Norns is the one that's coming out uh, August 1st. And okay. again, this is about, you know, the weird sisters and um, that whole weavers of fate and magic. And I wrote it a lot. I wrote it for the reason of, Thinking about time and the way that it's not as linear as I, it's easy to believe inspires a lot of hope. And so I wanted a book that came out that sort of inspired hope in these times. Okay. And then I'm going to do very shortly for the other ones. Uh, <laughs> there's, so I have another one on Gaia that's coming out in November of 2023, and then Artemis is t- April of 2024. And there's another book, wow, too, you've been busy. Not, I don't have a date yet. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. I have other books that are in the wings. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a, a well-rounded uh, repertoire you've uh, 
you know, mm-hmm. you've created. Um, you know, congratulations. Yeah, uh, that That's an incredible body of work there. Um, okay, so we're at the half hour when I generally yep. take a break. Um, and uh, But when we come back, I want to jump into your, um, you know, your idea that life is a love spell. Uh, and, um, you know, and that uh, humans are love spells. Uh, but first, um, I am going to give a shout out to Celia. Uh, I want to thank her for the use of her music here on the show. And that opening uh, that everyone heard was... Uh, a cut of hers called uh, Meta Prayer. Um, I also want to remind folks about the Divine Feminine app. Um, you know, I have to confess that I knew about the Divine Feminine app, but I had not actually been using it myself because I'm technology challenged, right? And uh, so I kind of avoided it, and I'm so sorry that I did because when I went there, I was so amazed to see all the wonderful um, goddess-oriented stuff going on. And um, not only can you find out about uh, things happening in your general area, you can also find out about virtual events. You can take advantage of um you know, everywhere, uh, all around the globe, you know, locally, uh, internationally, um, you know, there's just so much out there to do. And um, the Divine Feminine app is a great resource to find out about, uh, you know, everything that's happening if you're looking to connect, if you're looking for something to do, if you want to go on a goddess tour, um, if you want to post your own local sacred circle. And uh, as a benefit to our listeners, uh, you can click on Upgrade Membership and scroll down and use the code, uh, I think it's Sacred Feminine, and you'll get a 90-day access to entering your own featured events. And when it's a featured event, um, it actually is an email that goes to local users. So check out the Divine Feminine app. I think you will be as glad uh, as I was uh, that I did. Uh, And uh, we also have a word here from Joe Carson for you. So hang in there. Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on DearMist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. attention, um, I want to remind you, because I don't think I've mentioned it in a few weeks, um, about my newest book uh, that's just been out a few months uh, called Normalizing Abuse. Uh, It takes the reader on a serious uh, yet heartfelt journey of discovery of my own uh, as an abuse survivor, Uh, but it's not just about me. Um, You could potentially... um, see yourself and uh, my story and the story of um, a number of other people whose uh, snippets of uh, 
you know, their stories are also in the book. Uh, it also looks at uh, many aspects of our everyday lives, uh, such as how we're normalizing abuse in academia, government, corporations, the workplace, and media, uh, within uh, our family and friends, society and culture, religion, the military. Uh, and we peel back the veneer, uh, hiding rampant, insidious abuse and exploitation that we are just accepting as normal, saying, you know what, that's just the way it is, uh, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, with dozens of prestigious endorsements and a powerful foreword written by pioneering spiritual educator Matthew Fox, who's known for his activism for gender and eco-justice, normalizing abuse is being hailed as a bullhorn for truth-telling, so desperately needed as we are called to stand up and speak truth to those wielding toxic power over us. Uh, normalizing abuse can be purchased from all the usual booksellers and providers. I'm also available for interviews, and I've done a bunch of them. Uh, and you can find them on YouTube or on my website, KarenTate.net. Uh, if you have any questions, just uh, you know how to find me. Reach out, KarenTate.net or KarenTate108 at Yahoo.com. And uh, please stay with me after the interview uh, with uh, Iris Anya Moon. Um, I want to share with you uh, a little writing that I did recently and shared at a ritual about um, uh, women in ancient times and how it affects us today. So, uh, Iris Anya Moon, uh, thank you for being mm-hmm. with me and um, uh, so glad to have you. And I want to chat um, more about your um, heart magic, uh, and uh, as you call it, and um, you say that uh, life is a love spell. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, I'm just going to pause that conversation for just a sec because there was something I didn't answer in something earlier. I want to make sure that anybody who caught that um, realized I didn't answer that. Uh, So talking about how to work with multiple deities at the same time. (laughs) And uh, I didn't didn't quite cover that. And so I just want to say real quickly that, again, it's just like human relationships. How do you do that? You make time for all of them. Um, Hopefully, and if something doesn't feel right, you sort of you know, lean into that and figure out how you could do something different. Uh, I have altars that are in different places for everybody. So everybody gets their own thing. Some folks like to share, some folks don't. But again, just like humans. So I just wanted to make sure that I said that so that folks who are curious about that um, could know that. And also, you don't have to work with a deity. So if you're not into that, also cool. Um, So don't have to. Work with the moon. That's great. Okay, well said. And work whatever. So, anyways, I just wanted to say that because um, it's a big thing for me. Uh, so, life is a love spell and this whole heart magic business. So, it doesn't, I mean, it makes sense that my heart magic um, comes from Aphrodite, but that's actually not where it started. It actually started back in 2016. I was, at, I was teaching at a witch camp in Australia, and we were working with the story of uh, Demeter and Persephone. And a really lovely friend of mine, who I'm actually going to talk to in a couple of hours, um, from Australia was, we were talking back and forth, we're both on the teaching team, and he said something to the effect of, like, uh, the love spell of life. And we were just sort of offhandedly, I have the notebook where I have it written down, and then in the afternoon I turned it into a song called Life is a Love Spell. And so from there it just sort of took off, and... It came out of this idea that I personally believe that we are magic, that we are selves, that we are, you know, we're the intention, we're the creation, and we're also the ones who sort of conjure our lives um, through, you know, experiences, choices, all of these things we're either intentionally <laughs> or unintentionally creating a love spell, this spell of connection with ourselves, connection with others, and also remembering the connection that we are to Earth because we are of Earth. So all of that is happening at the same time. So life as a love spell is a reminder of that. It is, to me, a reminder that just as with any love, there is this moving in and out of it, 
there is this idea that sometimes it is really present, sometimes it's not. And I also think that this phrase has grown a bit over the years as I have lost people in my life, in my life, <laughs> many lives apparently. Uh, but as I've lost people and as I recognize that love is this wondrous, beautiful thing that is never going to last forever, ever, you are going to lose everything that you love. So if that is true, do you still dare to do that? Can you still step into that? Can you still step into that dance, into that spell? And how are you, how are you a part of that? That's the high level bit. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you remind me of uh, a, a, a debate I had with a good friend of mine a long time ago. And uh, we, were, we, were, uh, we each took a side and we were going to debate, uh, is it better to have loved and lost or to never <laughs> have loved at all? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, to to love is risky, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, to love mm-hmm. is is risk. Yeah. It really is. And um, and and I think ultimately, um, I agree with you. And 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 maybe um, you think this way too, and just haven't languaged it. But um, I think love is what we're all after. I mean, uh, at at the very um, you know at the crux of it all. Um, and uh, whilst you know, and, and and we just go about getting it differently, or maybe we're afraid of love. I mean, there's so much, uh, so much out there motivated by fear. So many fear-based people, and um, sure. I, I guess I just wonder how life would be different if we all became love-based people, you know, instead of fear-based people. Um, it, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, you know, it's kind of a Pollyanna thing, but. Um, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to ponder. I'd like to ponder yeah. that idea. Yeah. I mean, yes, and So I think that that goes back to, I think, what is sort of a theme in what we're talking about is, like, how do you define love? So I think mm-hmm. that a lot of folks don't feel possibly that they're as connected with that because they're thinking it has to look a certain way. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's true. Like, love has mm-hmm. so many different facets, right? Like, I think of, you know, Aphrodite is like a disco ball, right? And so she, there's a whole bunch of different things, ways that she shows up. So does love. Um, I personally, the things that I hold to, and I agree with you, I think that love is omnipresent and what we all are searching for in some way. I personally hold that love is the first magic. I think of the way that if, you know, all of this was created, all of our, you know, beingness and earth and everything was born out of chaos, that love came out of that pretty quickly. You know, the idea of caring for someone else the idea of caring for the land, like all of those things came out of that chaos. So love is the thing that I would imagine we're all seeking to return to, whether that be in this life or beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it's, I mean, it's a continuous question too, because love morphs, desire morphs, um, all of that, which I think personally, super exciting and often very painful. So, yeah. but isn't that yeah. what life, like life has that opportunity though to really feel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've often thought about uh, Isis with her sistrum. You know, Herodotus right. said mm-hmm. she shapes the sistrum and she keeps the energies of the universe flowing. And I guess you could kind of use a metaphor, too, mm-hmm. like stirring a cauldron. You know, things are mm-hmm. always changing. Things are always moving. And it has to be that way, whether it's the shaking of the sistrum to keep the energies flowing or the stirring of the cauldron, if you will, uh, because we are meant to keep evolving and if we don't we're stagnant and if we're stagnant we die you know we become putrid mm-hmm. um, you know things just mm-hmm. don't stay the same they're always ebbing and flowing and all of that stuff you know um, absolutely yeah mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just to kind of give an example mm-hmm. for listeners, um, give mm-hmm. us an example, maybe uh, your life or, you know, somebody else's that maybe you've taught this to or something. What, what would be an example of a love spell you might be creating in your own life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and that's, it is ever evolving. <laughs> so I think at least in this moment, the love spell that I'm creating is, a love spell of accepting things for what they are and people for who they are. Accepting things and meeting them exactly as they are, flawed, 
uh, or at least what I might consider flawed, and seeing what is present anyway. What is in this space with me? How does this feel to me? Is this something I want to be a part of? And showing up fully for who people are and for what they're offering and what they what their limits are too. So it's also about that all of this is not just about, you know, in relationship with somebody else. I also am conjuring the spell of how can I show up and be with myself exactly as I am? What if I couldn't ever change? I know it's not true, but what if I couldn't? What if this is who I am? Can I still be with myself? Can I still fall in love with that? Can I find love for that? How do I show that? So for me, that is my current evolution of that, is meeting of myself, meeting of others, and seeing what arrives. And that also might mean, in my own evolution, uh, these certain things don't work out anymore, and I need to find something else or open up to something different. Yeah, and Mike, that you know, I would imagine that would also mean um, loving yourself, even if um, who you are, your authentic self, is um, maybe not what uh, the world sees as uh, the norm. Yes, exactly. That is probably a, a louder lesson in my life in the past little while. I got diagnosed, you know, with ADHD, and I was, and that really made me think about a few things and think about, oh, oh, and I could see the ways in which I could have met other people in with neurodivergence in different ways, and so it's been this really great sort of expansion of, oh, what does it mean to show up for, to, for somebody exactly as they are? Oh, how can I show up for myself exactly as I am? Because a lot of things now make sense. But now I realize I haven't been supporting myself as well as I could have. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I love this idea. Um, I love this idea, mm-hmm. uh, Irasanya. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, what would be one thing you'd want, um, you know, a new practitioner or old? Um, I mean, mm-hmm. what, would, what would you want them to know right now? Uh, right now, I, first of all, that, you, I have a lot of things that I would love people to know. So let's see if I can glean that down. I think that the one thing I would love, well, one thing, and I'll probably expand, is that you are already magic. Uh, I think that one of the things that can be really tricky in the beginning of learning about witchcraft, magic, paganism, et cetera, et cetera, is that it can feel very separate. It can feel like, oh, I'm reaching towards something and I, I need to just keep practicing reaching towards it and eventually I'll get there. And while that's certainly true with some skills and different things that you might do in ritual or learning about such and such myths, you inherently are already magic. You already have things that are valuable. You have knowledge that is supportive of yourself and others. And that while reaching out is great, I encourage folks to really learn how to trust themselves and to learn what their intuition is telling them slash what it feels like when their intuition steps in and says, oh, no, this is what you should be doing. All of that to say that if you're new, practice stuff. Yes, there's a billion different voices that you can listen to about things. Follow the ones that make sense to you. Recognize that all this stuff was made up at one point and that there is no perfect right answer. There's only the answer for you, at least in my opinion. So try things, make mistakes. Um, But really, it's all about you're already magic. It's just a matter of remembering it. And hopefully you'll get to explore and figure out what that actually means for you. Mm, that's lovely. What a great, uh, uh, you know, great note to end on here. Um, please uh, share with listeners how they can find you, uh, Arasanya. Yeah, so the best way to find me is on my website, which is my name, so Arasanya Moon, I-R-I-S-A-N-Y-A Moon.com. I have a whole bunch of stuff there, all my classes and books and things like that. Also, I have a newsletter that you can sign up for there. It's called Heart Magic, and it comes out every new moon thereabouts, sometimes more often. 
those are great places. I'm also on social media because I find that fun most of the time. So I'm, my name is very unique, so it's pretty easy to find me on Facebook and Instagram. I do uh, some things on TikTok, too. I will post something, some sort of inspirational or maybe, <laughs> maybe it's inspirational or poetic thing on the new moon and the full moon, usually, and sometimes in between. So those are great places. I also have a sub-staff now, um, which is also called Heart Magic. I have been writing more things that are more um, divinely inspired. So I find them, my, my goal with that is to be more evocative and less instructional with those. So sort of to evoke experiences in folks and see mm-hmm. how that feels in your heart. And I like that you call it divinely inspired. You know, I I teach a class called Reawakening Our Earliest Sacred Stories. And um, as simple as this sounds, uh, you know, we rewrite the patriarchal myths. And, um, you know, we, uh, you know, take that whole patriarchal element out. And it's such a powerful thing to do that, you know. And I can just always – I'm never – you know, not amazed by uh, the, the seeing the women's faces when they rewrite those stories, mm. you know, because, uh, you know, these myths uh, affect our subconscious so much. And, uh, you know, because we we all can be divinely inspired, you know. Uh, just because these old dudes wrote the Bible doesn't mean they cornered the market on divine inspiration, for, for heaven's sake, you know. Um, so, yeah, exactly. I, I like that you said that. <laughs> well, I, well, well, I think one of the I things wanna... too is like you know. I, can I just I'll just say one little last thing. One yeah, of the things yeah, I sure. say, you know, Go yes, ahead. yes, yes, you are magic, but also, I personally, and this is my personal thing, I believe that we're all divine, and so I mm. I believe that one of the things that might be good to know about me or interesting is that I'm in devotion to gods and deities, but I'm not in supplication, and so that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think creates a better foundation for a really nice reciprocal relationship. So just wanted to throw that in there. And that's that's an important point. Um, Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for saying that. You know, it's something that kind of just, uh, in a lot of cases, is is just kind of accepted, but we don't actually say it and we should punctuate it. Um, So thank you, Arathanya. It's been uh, an informative uh, interview today. Thank you for sharing with my listeners so much good stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks Okey folks who took the time to listen. Okay. Uh, talk to you another time, uh, maybe when one of your All other right. books is out, okay? Okay. Absolutely. Right, Thanks so much. Have a great day. day. I will. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Thanks. So I hope you enjoyed that, and we will have her back. Um, and I want to share with you something that I shared at a recent ritual Um, uh, I don't know if if you happen to be listening from the southern Oregon area. Uh, I live in Grants Pass now, and we have started a women's circle once a month, and uh, uh, we do, um, you know, kind of a sacred circle, and I usually give some sort of instructional reading, you know, before we get into the the magical spiritual aspects of the – you know, of of the gathering. And uh, one I shared recently was um, about, um, you know, the role of women in ancient times. And uh, so often, you know, women are just relegated to uh, breeders. And uh, even today, uh, you have um, so many fundamentalist groups that see women as nothing more than, you know, a uterus. Uh, you know, and use them to uh, birth babies or, um, uh, you know, more followers for their cause. And, uh, and we're so much more, right? And, um, and we have to remind ourselves of that, and uh, we have to claim our own agency. Um, so, you know, let me just say, let's start this by saying, may our minds be clear, may our hearts be pure, may our bodies be strong, and may we embrace our agency. So, um, 
maybe you've probably come to recognize the role of women throughout history, has usually referred to them as the weaker sex or characterized them as Madonnas or whores, as if there's nothing in between. Some religious leaders only see women as breeders as our biology has been used by male authority to limit our involvement uh, to the domain of the home, you know, keeping us out of the uh, social and cultural sphere where we can have influence. Uh, patriarchy or male domination wrote myths so that even the role of life giver was taken over by male gods, such as Zeus birthing Athena from his forehead, uh, ignoring Athena's mother, Metis. Or we know the Bible tells us God gave birth to humanity. Then later, Tertullian, an early Christian religious leader, said women were mere incubators for the, for the male seed. And you know what? I'm here to tell you not a lot has changed because there was a new book that came out recently, um, and it was called Origins. And it was about uh, the beginning of the world. It started with the Big Bang and worked its way forward to today. And in it, this male author still does not acknowledge the role women played in building civilization. He sticks to the sad old story, the tired story. Women were little more than breeders. It was, it was uh, frustrating, um, sickening, and sad. Uh, but you know what? It's up to us to correct this information. We can't rely on patriarchy or men to, uh, to do that for us. But, you know, the Neolithic Age began around 12,000 years ago and ended as civilization started to rise uh, about 5,500 years ago. And during this time, stone tools were further developed. But the invention of agriculture was the most important characteristic of that time. And who is it that's believed to have discovered agriculture sometime during this period, which enabled settlements to spring up and develop a communal way of life? Well, it was women. You know, they saw that the seeds they dropped caused um, something to grow. Yes, women most likely discovered the secrets of agriculture that enabled people to settle down in the first forming communities of the Stone Age. Then pottery is also associated with women's work of food storage and preparation. And weaving is women's work. Uh, it, you know, in most traditions or cultures, women probably invented these new textile technologies as well. Each of these inventions was understood to be a mystery of transformation. The seed goes to a plant and then a harvested crop. The clay to a snake coil of, you know, gooey clay to a fired pot. The wool or wool or flax, you know, from the animal uh, to a thread, which is spun into cloth. Well, these mysteries were passed on from mother to daughter through songs and stories and rituals. Women's control of these mysteries would have given women high status in these early cultures. So would their ability to bleed every month without dying and to birth living children from their wombs as the role men played in creation was not yet understood. The social structures that developed the Neolithic period have been called egalitarian matriarchies in recognition of the esteem and authority accorded women in the governance of the clan. The goddess, the primary religious symbol in the Neolithic era, was the symbol not only of the powers of birth, death, and regeneration, but also of intelligence of women who discovered the mysteries of agriculture, pottery, weaving, animal husbandry that led to the creation of new forms of human community. And you know what, this is no small thing to be overlooked, to be marginalized, you know, to be swept aside. For too long, women and girls have been told that we never did anything of real value in the world and that our bodies are symbols of evil and temptation and sexuality is shameful and sexual pleasure is a sin. Or our desire for knowledge caused humans to be cast out of the Garden of Eden and we're responsible for all the suffering of the world. 
Well, patriarchy would like us to have never known any of this, but you know what? You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. The cat is out of the bag. The bell has been rung. And goddess, who we celebrate at ritual, and that night we were celebrating Isis, she and her husband were great examples of the divine feminine and sacred masculine, one of the first power couples, and they were said to have been deities that taught women and men to love and to have ushered in the knowledge so that civilization might develop. And you know what? In ancient Egypt, where people had a feminine face of God, women weren't relegated to second-class citizen. They were queens and pharaohs. Average women could own uh, property and divorce their husbands. They were not second-class citizens relegated to submit to male authority. They did not have their needs or their will stifled. They were not made to be ashamed of their sexuality or their bodies. Isis, in fact, whose symbol is the throne of the Egyptian kingdom and culture, was the one who gave the pharaoh the right to rule. And she demanded he rule using the laws of ma'at, or right action and justice, with his people. So, there you have it. Think about that. It's pretty powerful stuff and stuff we should not forget. We should not forget who we are. We should not forget our lineage. We should not forget our contribution. And we should not be told that we should submit to male authority. We should not have men controlling our independence through controlling our reproductive health and all the rest they try to do. It's just not the way it should be. Stand up, women stand up. All right. Uh, That about does it for me for today. And um, uh, we're going to pay homage, as I do at the end of every show, to um, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess Sekhmet, because she is a great role model for women to say no without guilt, to set healthy boundaries, to find their strength, courage, and resilience. Uh, She's also a great role model for women in support of one another, helping each other build a community or tribe. So, Sa Sakem Sahu, Sekhmet. 